0: Hello and welcome to Office Hours with EAB. Today, we take a look at why so many institutions make it harder than it needs to be for students and the credits they've earned to transfer. With so many schools today facing both lower overall enrollment and dwindling transfer enrollments in particular, there's never been a better time to tackle this problem. Our experts examine the changes you need to make to remove institutional barriers usually tied to process and technology, to make your university more transfer friendly. Give these
1: folks a listen and enjoy. Hello and welcome to Office Hours with EAB. My name is Matt Sheldon and I'm an associate director on the transfer team um, here at EAB where we help schools improve transfer pathways, improve their transfer websites, and improve their overall transfer programs. If you're tuning into this podcast, I'm not telling you something that you don't know, but transfer is a challenge right now. We have a system that is broken. Um, Our students are unable to find the answers to key questions about how they transfer. And we want to ensure at EAB that we are helping these students find their best fit institution. Um, I am joined today uh, with my colleague and our director of our transfer team, Alison Akewanu. Allison, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself?
2: Hey, Matt, thanks for that. Uh, my name is Allison Akalanu, and I lead our transfer portal division here at EAB. That includes helping our partners implement our uh, technology solution and also side support resources uh, to ensure that they're implementing the right um, services to become a transfer-friendly institution, because we know that technology alone uh, can't solve this problem, but the people and process behind that technology um, are really can be the drivers to that. So, um, Matt, before we get started, uh, you and I have worked with each other for a while now. And you know, one of my favorite things to do in our conversations together is really spitball about random things happening in our world. Uh, So before we dive into today's topic around building that transfer friendly destination, um, I'd love to ask you something a bit random.
1: Fire away. All
2: right. So uh, we're currently in the peak of summer. And I'd love to know, what is one of your favorite summer sounds and why?
1: Yeah, absolutely love this question because I live in a small mountain town, uh, Durango, Colorado, if anyone is familiar with it, and we have a river that runs through the middle of our town. And so when I go running in the mornings, the sound of the river kind of washing up against uh, the rocks is very peaceful and it's just kind of a great way to um, to start any day. So the sound of water, primarily rivers or streams, but really any water sound is uh, my favorite sound of summer. And uh, you gotta tell me now that I've you know put myself out there on this podcast, tell me uh, what is your favorite sound in life?
2: All right, well, a little similar to yours. I have a pond near my house where I also go on walks and runs in the morning or late in the evening. And it is very common for me to hear the loud and rambunctious uh, chirping and or croaking of the local frog, pocket, frog population here uh, in Maryland. And uh, it's just a lovely sound to hear. It's, it's quite relaxing and uh, they're particularly strong after some summer rain that comes in. And um, yeah, and I think it's a bit nostalgic for me as well.
1: Okay, and now that people are a little bit more familiar with us, where we live, what our favorite summer sounds are, I think one question, Allison, I get asked all the time. People are just surprised that we have this incredible transfer team, the work we do at the portal, the work we do on best practices. Would you mind giving the listeners just a bit of understanding, you know, how did we get into this work? What is kind of EAB's role within the transfer space?
2: Absolutely. So for those that don't know, back in 2014, uh, EAB conducted a research study pretty in-depth where we surveyed and talked to uh, vice presidents of enrollment management, conducted strategic conversations with uh, community college presidents alongside of university presidents, and um, conducted a number of interviews with uh, students looking to transfer, thinking about transfer, or have already transferred. That resulted in a study, which uh, we can provide in a link uh, from this podcast called Paving the, Path- Paving the Pathway to Transfer. And um, from that work, we identified a couple of themes. Um, we know that transfer students, like other non-traditional populations, uh, can be very difficult to reach. Uh, Oftentimes, they're either unengaged or come much later in the process of the enrollment funnel. Um, Oftentimes, uh, I know many of my partners right now in kind of the middle of summer are doubling down on transfer enrollment efforts for the upcoming fall. Uh, And so transfers are much later in the cycle. And identifying who those stealth shoppers are um, was a a key theme and key problem that our partners are thinking about. The other key theme that was uh, pulled up in this research was this concept of keeping students on track to transfer, and also thinking about those academic planning components that go into successful transfer and or transition across institutions. Uh, And ultimately, um, lots of research was kind of done uh, simultaneous to EAB's efforts um, by other partners out in the field. And I think one of the staggering statistics that we uh, point to and reference quite frequently is that 80%, around 80% of community college students express interest in transferring, but ultimately 25% of those students actually do. And so we had to ask ourselves, why is that? And uh, it gave us room to pause and think about uh, the potential causal factors into institutional barriers to transfer. And that's ultimately what led us to building a transfer consulting and advisory practice and uh, support technology, uh, which is in place today, our, our transfer portal.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's really kind of very exciting to see what we've been doing over the last eight years. So um, thanks kind of for that background.
2: Uh, so Matt, the transfer landscape is radically different than it was eight years ago when we did the study. Uh, And I know you spend a lot of time day in and day out uh, looking at the latest research, talking to partners. So what are you seeing now? What are some of the key trends?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I think, you know, high level, everyone knows how challenging it is out there within the the current transfer landscape. I'm not telling folks anything that they don't know. Um, But I really want to kind of put that into context for folks. So one of the things that we see a lot is that when EAB started this work, in 2014, that was really a high watermark for transfer. Um, between 2014 and 2019, we did see a little bit of dec- uh, decline, held steady across the board. Some schools were up, some schools were down, but you know, nothing major um, happened. COVID has made the transfer work that we all do extremely challenging. Um, and so what does that kind of mean in terms of, of actual data and actual statistics that folks on the line can kind of take away and talk to their, um, their teams about? So that we put into context what's going on in the transfer space. So between 2019 and 2020, we lost about 191,000 transfer students across the board. So these are students that didn't go from a two- to a four-year institution, from a four- to a four-year institution, or from a four- back to a two-year. They just completely fell out of the funnel. What was really fascinating then is that between 2020, fall of 2020, and fall of 21, things actually held steady. Um, We didn't lose uh, very many students, about 11,000 or about 1% of the overall transfer population. Um, And I think myself, all of the researchers here at EAB were kind of scratching our heads because we were wondering, you know We're seeing that community college declines are double digits every semester since this um, have been double digit declines every semester since um, COVID started. So what is going on within the market? Why is transfer kind of holding steady? Um, and we're going to link this in the show notes, but that kind of floor that we had seen propped up this past fall fell um fell out um kind of fell, the floor fell out from underneath us this past spring so we saw a 16 percent decline from spring of uh, 21 to spring of 2022. um so significantly down across the board. As I'm talking to folks um, currently, we know it's still early in the process. July and August are always the biggest months for recruitment, but people are down again and we're definitely expecting to see a, a significant decline. The one area that I do want to point out to folks um, as they're thinking about, okay, like, yeah, great. You know, we all know that things are down. Um, what does that mean for me? the thing i want people to kind of really think about the fact that with the decline in enrollment there has been one area where uh transfer enrollment has gone up and that is at highly selective and flagship institutions so not only are we losing students out of the community college pipeline but we're also starting to see schools that have not traditionally focused on transfer uh, making a significant effort to um, recruit more transfer students so as you are thinking about ways that you can kind of improve your overall transfer programs, know that it's a very competitive market and, you know, rise to meet that challenge. Um, Allison, anything else that you're kind of seeing there? Well,
2: I, you know, Matt, uh, I think shifting a little bit away from the data that we're seeing from the National Student Clearinghouse and others, you know, so much of my work that I, I do day in, day out with, with institutions who are on the ground, working with, part, uh, working with students and, and thinking through, um, how they can successfully transition students into their, into their institution. Uh, I do this exercise commonly, uh, and, and asking partners what their up at night issue, uh, transfer issue is. Uh, and actually Matt, we mm-hmm. do this a lot when we're, you know, out on the road, talking to folks, doing conferences and presentations, and we've been collecting anecdotal feedback now for over four or five years. And uh, it falls into four buckets in in terms of what we're hearing from staff, faculty, and those on the ground working with transfer students as to what they're hearing and experiencing and and what those up-at-night transfer issues are. The first is... Plays into really what you were just speaking to uh, the actual enrollment uh, transfer market and uh, the unpredictability that COVID has laid on these institutions uh, in in bringing their actual transfer numbers up or even just stabilizing. Um, And part of that has been uh, thinking about their strategy given the increasing limited resources that they have uh, at their fingertips. Um, The other component in thinking about the enrollment landscape is uh, community college decline. So I know you, this is kind of plays into that larger number that you were talking about. Um, but when uh, their top feeders are not seeing the growth or stabilization of their own students, it's hard to translate that into um, a population that you can then pull from. The second big area that uh, we hear about is around admissions and just general staff capacity concerns. Uh, we know that the types of admissions activities that happened across the last couple of years have been radically different, um, moving from traditional mechanisms of in-person visits, campus visits, tabling events, that type of thing, uh, to not being able to go on campus at all and uh, having to invest in virtual and or uh, kind of remote resources to uh, provide Um, admission support. And uh, this concept of doing all of the things uh, as an admission staff member or even someone in the registrar's office, depending how an organization is structured, uh, really resonates with people. Um, You know, folks that that work with uh, transfer students, they're having to figure out how the the transfers uh, transfer credits actually transfer in. They're trying to figure out how much financial aid is remaining for that particular student, depending on uh, what they've already used in the past. And sometimes these are students who are coming directly from another institution, but sometimes they might be uh, more non-traditional or adult learner degree completer students who are coming back and have credit. Uh, That's another kind of whole population that becomes a bit more complex to work with. the third bucket is around that credit evaluation piece and some of the process technologies and, and data management components that go into successful transfer. Uh, we know that the number one question that transfer students, prospective transfer students have are how their, their credits will transfer, but how, they're, how they will apply to degree. And what might seem like a pretty simple question is actually pretty complex for admission staff in particular to answer. Uh, because uh, uh, as you can probably imagine, uh, degrees are constantly changing. Degree requirements change year to year. Uh, Schools are updating their catalog. Uh, They may not be synchronized across the institution. It may not be centrally located. Uh, There's a lot of moving parts that go into that piece, but then how they translate uh, the degree requirements alongside of the course equivalencies into their systems to create automations and, and processes uh, are things that a lot of schools have yet to invest in. Uh, we are seeing some shifts there, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Uh, but then the last area falls into this concept of successful transitions, like advising, registration, and onboarding for transfer students. Um, we know that historically, the wide majority of institutions didn't actually provide dedicated, uh, holistic, transfer student advising uh, or even orientations uh, that have been crafted and customized for transfer students and uh, that could lead to issues with them uh, onboarding into the institution getting connected to those early resources that we know will help them be successful uh, finding like-minded and like background peers who are also transfer students or come from non-traditional backgrounds uh, and also thinking about registration, this is a very specific thing, but um, uh, registration, depending on how a school operates, can be a real barrier and getting transfer students in particular into that uh, process.
1: You know, Allison, that. I think that is also what I hear as well when I'm talking to partners, and it always feels so overwhelming to me. There's like so much going on um, in the transfer space, and your concept of transfer folks are doing all the things. Um, what I kind of see that ha- see happening is that, that doesn't lead to a lot of willingness or interest in kind of fixing the problems because we are we have thrown so much at our teams, um, asking them to to do more with less every year. So. As we kind of think about this and in your brainstorming of partners, like, why now? Why is now the time to really focus on transfer students and and fix these problems?
2: Well, given the state we're in relative to the enrollment market, uh, it is imperative that institutions are successfully deploying resources and strategies that are going to enroll all students not just first time, full time freshmen, and that they reevaluate how they treat those non-traditional students in a way that's going to successfully get them on board. Otherwise, we're gonna continue to see uh, institutions really flounder um, to fill their class and to find the students to help them do that. Uh, So I think some of it is bottom line uh, in terms of helping, helping institutions survive and, uh, uh, and 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 successfully meet their missions to their local communities. I think in particular, when I think about the student experience, um, almost building upon those three themes we heard from staff and faculty working with students, there's a lot of, uh, I think, lateral points uh, or pain points that incoming students feel that are connected to each of those uh, areas I, I mentioned. Uh and if we were to describe this as a as a a visual, you could imagine uh this road. You kind of get on this path. And you know, you and I just mentioned earlier we like to walk and run. Uh, we're kind of hearing all the 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 birds and nature along the way. Uh, we're on this pathway to wherever we're trying to get going. And for for prospective transfer students, they are trying to find the signs the road the 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 road signs to kind of navigate their their way they're trying to use their gps on their phones to get where they're going uh but the tools and technologies (laughs) and and those um, maps are just not working for them and in, in practical terms students are are having a hard time finding things on a website navigating a website clicking through uh Really trying to answer that question around the the, how the credit will transfer and translate to degree, Uh, understanding what prerequisites are required of them uh, to even get into a program, Uh, not to go on a tangent, but what's a a notoriously difficult transfer program, but oftentimes one of the most is the highest uh, requested program for transfer students is nursing. My my yeah. niece who is is entering uh college next year wild uh <laughs> is uh is pursuing uh currently <laughs> planning to pursue a, a degree in, in nursing and for a period mm-hmm. of time she was seriously considering starting at a community college for a wide variety of reasons um but uh, she really wanted to pursue the path Of nursing and um, for the local community college she was uh, looking to attend and the potential feeder she would go to afterwards, the pathway was pretty complex uh, and had a lot of potential Mm -hmm. loopholes and even things that could potentially in a year's time or two years time become a barrier that would ultimately prevent her into the nursing program. Um, Often nursing programs are cohort-based. They only admit you know, a certain number of students that didn't uh, initially start with the program. So um, there's a number of things that really translate back over to students that have direct correlation and connection to those issues that we talked about relative to staff and faculty.
1: Yeah. And I think what we see is like, we want schools to take this on so that they can build out a pipeline for the future. Like every time we talk to a partner, we're saying, hey, this is not something you're gonna solve tomorrow. We want you to solve this for the long term and really think about, you know, everything that we that you just mentioned, how do we make it better for the students? So I think we've kind of done quite a bit of like doomsday here. This is a challenging subject. There's a lot of things going on. What are some best practices that you're seeing in market, the schools that are doing really well within transfer? How are you seeing them take on this challenge?
2: It's such a great question. Uh, and I know earlier in our conversation, I kind of started to tee up this concept of uh, people, process, and technology. Uh, so our model has always been: uh, you have to have three those three components in synergy with one another. Um, oftentimes, you see technology being implemented, and it takes up kind of a large, uh, large space and capacity of your team members. And ultimately that technology isn't implemented well, or maybe the people and process behind it are not considered until after you've already gone live with it. And that results in a lot of issues. Uh, So for us, when we think about transfer best practice, it's layering those three components um, together in equal fashions, um, such that uh, you're using technology as a lever for change and for instituting and capturing and documenting processes that uh, transfer students uh, can benefit from, and your staff and faculty can also benefit from, uh, to really move towards scale and thinking about scaling your support and resources, taking what you've learned from first-time, full-time freshman support and translating that into other uh, populations like non-traditional students, uh, like transfers and um, adult learner degree completers. And from that, we've developed a framework uh, that really centralizes around seven best practice areas across a student life cycle. And those, the, the, the life cycle, if we were to kind of do a visualization um, is uh, starting with a foundation. So if you're building a house, you gotta lay the groundwork. You have to put in the concrete to build a house, the structural framework, to even have the house to live in. So you have to do your due diligence to have a substantial foundation in place before you can even start serving uh, transfer students successfully, uh, creating that transfer friendly destination. And two components within the foundational area is around uh, prioritization of transfer student support at your institution. Uh, We'll dig into this in just a a few more moments. Um, The second area Mm -hmm. is thinking about pathways, uh, both in a traditional sense from your community colleges, but also thinking uh, a bit more non-traditionally as to um, K through 12 pathways going even a step earlier in the process, Uh, thinking about transitional pathways. So a lot of students, Mm -hmm. this kind of concept of two plus two doesn't necessarily hold true any longer actually we see a lot of uh two plus one three plus one or even uh one to two to one just transitioning between a multitude of institutions actually uh the second bucket is around you know after you've built that that foundation um you've started to build up your house uh well you gotta you gotta uh put it on market you gotta promote it uh, so if I'm trying to, mm-hmm. I've built the house uh, and I'm trying to sell it, uh, people need to know it's on the market. Uh, so I don't know about you, Matt, but uh, I'm on Zillow a lot and um, <laughs> just, you know, looking, what, looking to see what's out there. Uh, it's a little just side hobby of mine. And uh, when you're on Zillow, you're seeing uh, houses that are in your respective area within a certain proximity. You've you've identified within that proximity where you want to live. And so building up awareness Mm -hmm. about um, your program uh, is important and ensuring that uh, the website and other, uh, your marketing materials are up kind of in front of prospective transfers, promoting your, your program effectively is, is a key a key thing to consider. And then lastly, our third bucket is this concept of yielding and supporting. So thinking about, all right, you, you have your house, it's on a foundation, you've promoted it, you have some buyers. Your buyers have raised their hand and are thinking about purchasing your home, but they have a lot of questions. And maybe there's even someone Uh, Again, depending on your student, maybe there's a parent, maybe there's another um, spouse or family member as a part of the decision. And um, you're you're thinking about qualifying and and engaging those prospective leads and ultimately getting them to closing, kind of going back to this house analogy of uh, getting them through to make that decision. Uh, But as an informed buyer, they're going to have a lot of those types of nitty gritty questions for you. And you have to be, Uh, really responsive to keep them engaged and interested. And this concept of speed to lead is such an important one that we can take from uh, how we've uh, nurtured um, other types of students uh, to deploy ultimately to transfers.
1: Absolutely. Um As you're kind of thinking, you know, one thing I was kind of thinking about here as you were talking, is like who in market is doing a really good job of this? Um, I will carry a little bit of water for one of our partners who I love their website. They clearly answer three key questions for students. How many other credits will transfer? How long will it take them to complete their degree? And then who do they need to reach out to? uh, to get all these questions answered. So they, they do use our transfer portal. So you'll see it on the website as the credit navigator, but that's UMass Amherst. So if anyone is listening, wants to check out a really great website. And then just so you, we, we don't look, uh, kind of like just straight chills for EAB. Um, Another school that I love what they're doing in this space is Virginia Commonwealth University. They have a centralized location that is taking a lot of these best practices. They have a transfer center um, and their website goes directly to that transfer center where students can get these questions answered, um, start thinking about um, advising, start thinking about how their credits are going to transfer and really getting them, you know, moving through that pipeline so that we can recruit as many students as possible and make sure that they're um, successful. Um, kind of switching gears a little bit, as you are seeing folks in the market, you know, we've talked about some of these best practices. Um, you know, could you talk a little bit about that handoff for the student transition process? So this is, I think, where, you know, we talk about the foundation, we talk about awareness, you know, we've got the student in the door. But where students are struggling a bit is once they know how their credits are going to transfer, they're excited about the process, getting them enrolled in classes and things like that can be the, a pretty big pain point for for institutions. Can you kind of talk about um, what you do with our partners and and how you, you really support those efforts?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so in terms of effective yield yielding and ultimately so supporting uh, students into an institution, uh, would recommend that partners are thinking about your qualification and engagement strategies. So this can range from your lead structure, how you're managing your metrics. I already mentioned before this concept of speed to lead, uh, but ultimately, are you capturing those metrics in a CRM? Uh, Are you using those metrics to inform marketing and recruiting efforts in real time? Uh, Are you assessing yourself on kind of set goals and how you're performing against those goals? Are you using various uh, lead sourcing structures, both from a technology component, RFIs, that type of thing, to even source a lead in the first place? Like I mentioned before, transfer students are notoriously stealth. So getting creative and how you can identify them earlier in the process is really important. Once you do have them identified, you get them into some kind of technology to track them, uh, uh, to ultimately better engage them, answer their questions, and communicate with them how are you driving your communication channels in an effective and synchronized way across the institution? I can't tell you how many times I've heard uh, partners that have advising, admissions, the registrar's office, financial aid, all of these different departments communicating with the same individual, but not tracking those communications in a centralized entity. Uh, And what that feels like from a buyer's perspective is that you don't really get me. You don't understand me. I've had to ask the same question five times and have yet to get an effective answer. So we're working with this generation of of humans that have been exposed to the internet from uh, early, early on, on, um, from children, really, from kind of early ages And even for you and I, Matt, uh, we've been normed Mm -hmm. to uh, expect a response from companies and vendors within seconds. Uh, We have been exposed to chatbots to uh, uh, 24-7 help customer service. And when your new potential buyers, these transfer students are coming in and don't get the same level. Of coordination, care, and quick outreach, they're going to become dissatisfied and skeptical that your institution is the right fit for them. And so institutions really need to be uh, brutal in assessing the effectiveness of their uh, lead engagement strategy and how coordinated or not it is. Um, I think a couple other pieces of this area I, w- I would emphasize going back to credit evaluation. Uh, this is such an important part of the decision making process for a student. And if if you're unable to quickly and effectively within days provide either an on-demand self-service credit evaluation platform, but then also follow up with an official shortly thereafter, uh, students are gonna go elsewhere to get that answer. So going back to that home buyer analogy, uh, let's say uh, you know i'm a, I'm looking for a home, I love this house, but I have a lot of questions about it because I went on a tour and there were some things that, that came up that just didn't really jive with me if if the if the seller doesn't respond to me in in weeks, months, the core questions I'm like, I'm going to go elsewhere. Like I'm, I'm trying to transfer in, in a couple of weeks. And so, so again, um, getting those key questions answered in a timely way is really important and ensuring that the information is uh, consistent across your buyers is, is also important. And that goes back to uh, ensuring that your data and technology is up to par, really, and, and that you're storing this data in a way that can be consistently reused uh, and again create scale across your processes. So, by storing course equivalency data, building rules, investing the upfront uh, human uh, people components into doing that, uh, it's ultimately going to help you repurpose the same information time and time again. Um, and then last thing on this, Mac, because I just think it, it's so important, this concept of transfer advising, uh, start early. I think if I were to just leave you with nothing else on this area, it's getting and building your relationships with community colleges and other feeders to talk to students much earlier in the process about prospective transfer options for them and what courses they can start taking at the community college that will ultimately set them up for success because we hear so often that students are looking to transfer, but they've just not taken the right prerequisites or the right courses or what have you um, to ultimately maximize that degree completion once they do a uh, do transfer.
1: Yeah, I think it's amazing going going back to your a point you made earlier, how many different departments are talking to a transfer student and how many of those departments report up to different executives on campus. And so the more that you can do to centralize, the better. So we are uh, kind of coming up on our time here. So I just wanted to summarize for you really what I've learned from you know this amazing conversation. And, and as folks can take action, kind of three things that they can do. So one is be able to very clearly answer key questions for students. So how many of my credits will transfer? How long will it take to me to complete my degree? And then most importantly, like how much money will this all cost me? Um, kind of the second thing that I really hear you saying is centralized supports. Make sure that everyone is working together to ensure that we are moving the student from inquiry all the way to enrollment and that we're supporting them through um, their, their overall journey. And then kind of going back to the transfer maturity curve, having a strong foundation. Care about transfer students, really think about this as part of your overall strategic plan because without that component, nothing um, can really get done do do you feel like i did I kind of learn the the right pieces here am i am I kind of uh, capturing the essence of what you're saying? I think
2: so, Matt, and if I was going to kind of push on this even further and put myself in our yeah. listeners' shoes, you know I think I'm a very practical person, and you know all this sounds really great. Uh, you know, I'd love, you know, Matt, I'd love to be able to have a transfer-friendly institution. I'd love to have our uh, institution uh, put transfer into strategic plan. But what if it's not within my wheelhouse? What if it's not outside? What, what if it's not in the scope of my day-to-day responsibilities? What can I do? All right, a couple of things. Practical, practical takeaways for you all. Um, surveys. Uh, I have a background in qualitative research, and I think surveys and focus groups and this idea of process mapping can be very informative and powerful to show your team to actually capture the student experience for your institution and what those specific pain points are. Um, So I would take that away. I'd survey your colleagues, so an internal survey of staff and faculty about their experience, uh, I would do an external survey or process mapping or, or focus group with actual students that have transferred, or maybe even mm-hmm. talking to your community college advisors. Um, there are some times uh, where community colleges, I, I didn't mention this before, but in a past life, I worked very closely with community colleges. And I know that um, in the world of transfer, sometimes there's still this lingering fear or belief that their students are getting poached or stolen. And sometimes there are underlying trust issues and it can be helpful to have a third party facilitator at times help you collect research. So that would be a good investment. You know, hiring Mm -hmm. uh, a contractor or consultant who's not affiliated with your university to actually talk to your partners uh, in a neutral capacity. Um, I would audit your website and other materials. Uh, If you have any student workers even if they're not transfer students, just ask them to go in to your websites and try to pretend like, uh, to kind of do a scenario of pretending like they they wanna transfer into your school or they're looking to transfer out or whatever you're trying to evaluate and uh, just make notes of pros and cons, like what went really well, what didn't and, and make note of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last thing I would say is very practical uh, in terms of gathering data. Um, IPEDS has a lot of really good data. Now, uh, I won't go on my rant about this particular topic, um, but uh, if you don't collect data from your partners or other feeders, this is a good at least starting place to see of proximate community colleges, what majors are they actually conferring degrees? So when you're thinking about program growth and opportunities you can go to this national database and see it's a couple cycles old right i think right now fall 2020 is what this is currently published Um, but that's another tangible takeaway for folks to think about
1: oh well thank you that i think like that really helps kind of think about how do we move the ball forward So everyone on the line listening um, in your car or on your run, thank you so much for joining us for uh, this episode of EAB Office Hours. As you can tell, Allison and I absolutely love talking about transfer. So just want to put in a a couple of uh, notices for everyone, how they can get in touch with us. Um, We will have our bios. um, our, Our bios are available on the EAB website. Um, we will also be presenting um, as a pre-conference session at NACAC in Houston this year. So uh, would love to dive deep with you about how you can get everyone on campus to support transfer students. The uh, title of the session is It Takes a Village. So uh, kind of going back to that area of how many folks are touching the um, and supporting the transfer uh, recruitment areas. If you are not going to NACAC, we do a series of webinars throughout the year, and we're always available to talk one-on-one. So, thank you so much, and Allison, thank you as well. Look forward to meeting folks who listened in.
2: My pleasure. Thanks, everyone.
0: Thank you for listening. Please join us next week when we explore why addressing the faculty shortage and securing clinical placements for graduates are the keys to generating enrollment growth in your nursing program. Until then, thank you for your time.